Jimmy, I appreciate that testimony. I just I feel like that's right in line with what God wants to do this morning. Yep. You took a little of my time, but that's all right. <laughs> we sang a song, Revelation 12:10, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And I mean that was just right in line. You could have said a lot of things. You came up here and gave a testimony. We're on healing this month. Pastor Pat had asked me to take a Sunday morning and share some things with you that, uh, that I've taught and that I've experienced. And, and so I just want to continue right in that line of testimony. I want to show you some testimonies. These are true testimonies. If you ever heard of John Lake, anybody ever heard of John Lake? John G. Lake. Great healing minister, uh, first part of the 20th century. Um, he's the guy that's famous for being in South Africa and they had the plague. And it was just wiping people out. And, and they could see it under the microscope. And so he looked at it under the microscope and they see the plague. He said, now put that, that slide in my hand. And he put it in his hand. And he stuck it back under the microscope and it was dead. This is the guy. A lot of his stuff, the vast majority of his, of his meetings and his healings were documented. He has several books. Uh, it's, just, it's just fact. He would, he would have a healing meeting and he would invite the newspaper. He would have a healing meeting. There would be people that, that, would, that were not of God that said they were healers. He'd say, let's all get together. You try to heal somebody, you try to heal somebody, you try to heal somebody, I get to be last. And he'd heal them. Now sometimes he'd do that and the reporters would say nothing happened. And you know why? Because nothing happened. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. But, then when, but he'd bring the papers to all his meetings. He'd have big tent meetings. He had, I forget it was Spokane or Portland over on the West Coast, he had what he called healing rooms. And he had several healing technicians, healing ministers, ministers that specialized in healing, and they would, and they would set up and, and make appointments, and people would come and see him, and they would minister constantly, day after day after day after day. Sometimes the healings were instant, sometimes it took a long time. I want to tell you about one such healing. Let me just read this to you. He says, uh, this is a radio lecture, so it recorded, you know, it's, it's, we got it you know, the manuscript of it. This afternoon I want to talk to you on the subject of miracles. From the year 400 until now, the church has assumed the attitude that the days of miracles are past without any scriptural evidence whatsoever. They have taught that miracles were to demonstrate the divinity of Jesus. That's what they taught. And therefore, the divinity of Jesus being demonstrated, there was no longer any need for miracles. We had a local incident that demonstrates the effect of this teaching, I think. My convictions on the matter is that it has done more damage to the Christian faith than any other teaching that has been put forth. Now here's his testimony. There is a gentleman who works at the Davenport Hotel in Spokane, a guy named O.A. Risden, who is one of the engineers there. He had a son with a deformed head. The top of the head raised up like the ridge of a roof. The forehead and the back of the head also were forced out in similar manner, giving the head the appearance of the hull of a yacht upside down. It's fact, documented. He was born with what physicians call a closed head. The boy was always slobbering. The pressure on the brain caused the right side to become paralyzed and the boy was dumb. He was five years old at this time. The physicians said there was nothing they could do. Then in desperation he appealed to his pastor. The pastor told him the days of miracles were past, that the Lord did not heal now that miracles were given to demonstrate the divinity of Jesus. The father replied, I love this comment, if Jesus would heal my son, I would be convinced that he is divine now. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Good comment. If he is divine, he would lift this damnation from our house. Finally, he came to us seeking help. We began, I want you to listen to that word, we began 
to minister to the child. In a few days we observed that the paralysis began to depart. Began to depart. Instead of walking on one side of his ankles, he began to walk on the foot. And that indicated that the pressure was relieved on the brain. In seven weeks, what did I tell you that they would do in John G. Lake's ministry? They would come day after day to the healing rooms and they would continue to minister healing to them. Now I know we've taught and it's true. Pray, believe once, stand on that. Yes, that's true. I'm not unteaching that. I think we leave too much out. In seven weeks, the child was perfectly well. The bones of the head softened and came down to normal. The paralysis disappeared and the child began to talk. In three months, he was in public school. He is a young married man now. Fact. Fact. I have two sons, Joshua and Andrew. Andrew is my youngest son. Andrew flies for PSA. That's a subsidiary of American Airlines. When he was how old, Leanne? Four. When Andrew was four, he had terrible, terrible asthma. I mean, there were a couple of times we thought we were going to lose him. I'm serious. There was one, there was one time, and if we, would, he would, we had this brown couch, and if we would prop him up on it at just a slight angle, he could breathe. Hadn't you gone to the doctor? Yes. Time and time again. Hadn't you prayed? Yes. Over and over and over. And it didn't look like anything was happening. He had one particularly bad attack. His eyes sunk into his face. The ends of his fingers turned blue. He was breathing like this. That's how he was breathing. We didn't know what to do. What's the matter with you? We were young and stupid. You ever been there? We were doing everything we could do. And so I had prayed and prayed, and we had anointed him with oil, and we had called people, and elders had prayed. We'd done everything we knew in the Bible to do. We'd done everything with medicine we knew to do. And I thought we were going to lose him. I thought I was going to watch him stop breathing. And I'd done everything I could do, and I thought, you know, this has got to be the devil. Hello. And so it was, I forget what season it was. It was probably in, in the wintertime, because we were running a wood stove. And I left the house and I walked up the hill. We're living out at Elk Lake in Owen County. Anybody knows where that is? And I walked up the hill and I thought, you know what? If this is an attack of the enemy, I wasn't born yesterday. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about, I'm going to try to figure out, I'm going to try to find out, I'm going to try to hear God on everything I think the devil is doing. And I'm going to attack him. And I mean, it was, it was stuff that I, it was, I, I began to pray about and rebuke stuff that I dealt with, what was in my family, what had been in my family, what was in my neighborhood, what was in the local church, what was in the community, what was in the state, what was in the country, what was in the world. I just began to launch spiritual attacks, and I didn't know how to do it. I was just doing it. Every spiritual attack against the devil's kingdom, I could think to, I could think to attack. And maybe some of what I was doing wasn't even scriptural, but I was getting, I was getting Bible for a lot of it. And I did that, for, I was walking up and down the road, and I did that maybe for 30 minutes, 60 minutes, something like that. I came back, he was fine. It was the last attack he ever had. Fact. About a week and a half ago, I had an attack of vertigo. Anybody know what vertigo is? Anybody ever had vertigo? Oh, isn't that stuff wonderful? Those of you who have never had vertigo, you ever been drunk and had the bed spins? 
Don't raise your hands. It's the same thing. You lay in bed, and this is awful. Essentially, your head can't change position. If I'm looking at you, Robert Lee, and I do this, my body keeps spinning. It's awful. You lay in bed, and you try to roll on your side, and you just feel like you're going to roll out of the bed. I was one of those kids that when they put you on the tilt-a-whirl at the amusement park, I got off and puked. Andrew was out in Tulsa flying me in a small airplane, and one of the things he had to do when he took off from the runway, he said he has to maintain that straight line to a certain distance, and he's allowed to turn out. And so he's sitting in the, in the left seat, and I'm in the right seat, and he let me fly that day too. Didn't kill us. And, and so he's, he's taken off, and he said, Dad, turn around and look and make sure I'm holding that line. And I went like this, and I said, Andrew, put it on the ground. We didn't get stopped before I hurled on the tarmac. Vertigo does not work with me. And so about a week and a half ago, I got up, and I didn't get up. I got up, and I just felt like I was going to roll straight over in the floor. So I laid back down in the bed, and it kept spinning. Now there's a, so I've suffered with that all day, and I just could lay there. And if I wanted to turn my head, I had to do it like this. It's awful. And then once I got there, I had to stay. And I hoped the phone wouldn't ring, because if I did that, I'd, I'd, I'd spin right out of the bed. Next day I woke up, it was just as bad. Lance said, there's this thing called the Epley Maneuver. You ever try that one? It's you sit up, you lay down, you turn your head, you do all kinds of weird things to try to get your inner ear back in balance. And there's two results. Either it works or you throw up. Guess what I did? So I'm laying in bed. This is awful. I thought you were a man of faith. I am. Did you ever hear of a devil? So I'm laying there in bed like this, and I'm watching. I been on TV for years. And I love it because they'll, they try to minister to you. They really do. They're not asking for a bunch of money. They just try to minister to you. And one of the things I always close with is a word from God. And I thought, well, maybe this will help me today. And so the word they closed with, this was last Friday morning, was Jeremiah 17, 14. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for thou art my praise. I thought, well, I could use some healing now. And about the time I thought that, God said, okay, say it. And while you say it, start moving. I'm like, I, I, I'm not moving. But I knew, I knew that it was for me. And so I said, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved, for thou art my praise. And I got up on my elbows, carefully. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, O Lord, and I shall be saved, for thou art my praise. And I sat up. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved, for thou art my praise. Here's the biggie. I'm going to turn and put my feet over the edge of the bed. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved, for thou art my praise. Stand up, said it again, walked to the end of the bed and had to hang on to the post, said it again, walked to the bedroom door and had to hang on to the door frame, said it again, walked down the hall, said it again, walked into the living room, said it again, 
walked into the kitchen, said it again. That night I laid down, no problem. That next morning I got up, it's been gone since. Yeah. Fact. Fact. Romans, Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. I want, to, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Samuel 17 for me. I want to give you some scripture for what I'm talking about. I realized when Pastor Pat asked me to share this, I knew instantly a couple weeks ago what I needed to share. I realized I'm talking to people who are Christians. I'm talking to people who are, some of them are spirit-filled Christians. I'm talking to people who have, who have been prayed for to be healed, who have prayed for people to be healed, who have a long, long pedigree with God, and have seen people get healed, and have seen people not get healed. Come on. Come on. Seen people not get healed. Have seen people live and have seen people die. I'm there. I don't pretend to be something I'm not. I'm, I'm just telling you the truth. 1 Samuel 17, I want to explain to you some of this, why this happens. I'm going to encourage you to do some things with me this morning. 1 Samuel 17, verse 49. 17, 49. This is the story of David and Goliath. What's that got to do with healing? A whole lot. <coughs> verse 49, And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore... David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cast off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw the champion was dead, they fled. I want you to see some real important words in those three verses. And, and, and. David did this and. David did this and. David did this and. I'm telling you, there are times we get prayed for to be healed and nothing happens and we just sit there. And we're like, if I do anything else, it's going to be in doubt. I'm going to prove that I don't have faith. No, David did this and. David did this and. David did this and. David, in, in 50, in verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. It says he prevailed. In another place it says he smote him. In another place it said he slew him. Why did they use three different words for killing him? Because they all don't mean killing him. Oh, we've had this wrong. David prevailed. That means he conquered him. David conquered him with a sling and a stone. David smote him, and that word smote means to strike severely, give wounds. You get that? Wounds. He smote him. It wasn't one smote. He gave him wounds, more than one of them. And he slew him. And slew means to die, to cause, to kill, to be dead. That's the easy one. David conquered over him. David gave him wounds, more than one. And David killed him, caused him to be dead. It says, David took Goliath's sword and slew him with it. What did he not slay him with? Read your Bible. 
He did not slay him. The word that means cause to be dead, he did not, this is not heresy, but, I can't, but I'm going to say it. Just close your eyes if you can't stand it. He did not slay him. He did not cause him to be dead with a rock. Now I know that goes against probably every major Bible theologian and teacher and doctrine you've ever heard. But the Bible does not say there that David slew him. David did not cause him to be dead with a rock. David conquered him with a rock. You know, I, I think you know this by now. God doesn't mince words with the Bible. He says what He means. You know that. I told you, I realize I'm talking to people that know some stuff. David took Goliath's sword and slew him with it, not the rock, and cut off his head to be certain. Let me tell you something. There was one day I living over in Owen County, a big old black snake came into our yard. I wasn't there. Now, I'll tell you, I was the kind of kid, I'd have caught it. When I was a little boy, I'd catch snakes and take them home. Here, Mom. A turtle, a frog, anything. Anything I could catch, it became a pet. At least for a few days till Mom made me let it go. So I'm not afraid of snakes. I just don't bother me. It's not a big deal with me. Some people think it's the devil incarnate. Me, it's just a snake. But I wasn't there that day. That big old black snake, big three and a half foot black snake was in the yard. I had two little boys. They were in the yard and their mother was in the yard. Leanne slew it. She caused it to be dead. And I'm t she smote it. She gave it several wounds with a hoe. I came home, why did you do that? I've taught you about snakes. You don't need to be afraid of that snake. It, catch it catches rats. Would you rather have rats or a snake? Neither. I'm going to tell you, she prevailed. She conquered over the snake with the first whack of the hoe. But she smote it again and again and again. I just want you to understand what the words mean. And then she slew it because it was headless when I got home. She caused it to be really dead. Did David just go berserk after he hit Goliath with the rock? He had no sword in his hand. Hey, there's one. Let's get it. Goliath's sword. And I think, I, think, I, think, I think David was in the heat of the moment. I think he stuck him and stuck him and stuck him and then stood back and whacked a while and then got him a really good one in the neck and held up his head. He just was going to make sure that old Goliath didn't get up. Now, why would David do that? Well, go back to verse 40. Let me show you one thing. I don't think David did go berserk. I think verse 40 tells us what's going on. And verse 40 says, the same chapter 17, and he took in his staff, he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag which he had, even in a scrip, and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistines. He got five stones. Why did he get five stones? Well, theologians have taught, and there's some scripture for this, but I'm telling you, not in verse not in this chapter. We just like to be colorful and tell stories. There's some that said, well, Goliath had four sons. Or Goliath had four brothers. But you know what? And I can tell you this for a fact. They weren't there that day. Because the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us the Philistines said, we'll send our champion, Goliath, the nine-foot giant, 
with a spear like a weaver's beam and, and, a, and the point on the thing about the weight of a shot put. His shield was so big he had a shield bearer go out in front of him. There are two guys out there. David goes after two guys with five stones. Can't David count? Let me tell you why he had five stones. This is real clear. It's all in there. Back up in that chapter just a little bit. Let me get to verse. Verse 34. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. The servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. Not these five uncircumcised Philistines. This one, this uncircumcised Philistine, this Goliath will be like a lion or will be like a bear that I've dealt with. Seeing he's defied the armies of the living God. I want you to see something about the lion and the bear. The same words are there. He smote him and he slew him. Remember, smote means to give him wounds, more than one. And to slay means to cause him to be dead. And, it's, and there's that other word in there, and. And the, the, so the, the lion, let's just stick with the lion so I don't tell it twice. The lion came out and got a lamb. And I think it is the story about the lion. He said lion and bear because he talks about grabbing his beard. And so the lion comes and grabs the lamb. Now here's what, here's what David does. David runs after it. Just like he's going to do Goliath. David runs after it. David hit it. Now, it was no love tap. Excuse me, Mr. Lion, can I have my lamb back? No, I don't know what he had. Maybe he had his sling and a rock. Maybe he had a big shepherd's staff. I don't know. But he hit it. And he, and he meant it. He hit it. I think David's intention was to kill it. We know the rest of the story. And he hit it. And what happened when he hit that lion? What's your Bible say? The lion let go of it and said, Oh, I'd rather have boy. And came at him. Now he's already smote him once. What does the Bible say he does next? He smotes him again. He grabs him by his beard and gives him more wounds. And he slew him. And he tells Saul, I did that with a lion and I did that with a bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine is going to be just like them. What did David know about giants? Now, I've been talking to you for a minute. You tell me, what did David know about giants? You got to hit them more than once. Had been ingrained into him. It's all there in those verses. David knew that a lion is a giant compared to David. That lion can kill David. A bear is a giant compared to David. That bear can kill David. Goliath is a giant, and Goliath can kill David. And so David's, all of his experience in dealing with giants is you must hit them more than once. And so he went and got five rocks. Now that's the truth of the story. Look at Mark chapter 8. Yeah, but that was David. And... He didn't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost then. And he didn't have the word of faith in Kenneth Hagin. I love Kenneth Hagin. 
cut my teeth on him as a, as a baby Christian. Loved, I loved to read and study his stuff because he was a great storyteller and all the biblical stuff. Mark chapter 8. Let's straighten out some more theology. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. And he cometh to Bethsaida, this is Jesus, and they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit in his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. Now to me that what means is they were really stretched out and tall. All his vision was way distorted. After that, he put his hands, what's the next word? Again. Wait a minute, this is Jesus. He put his hands on him again. I thought he already prayed for him. He didn't say, well, just stand and believe and you'll be healed as you go. Isn't that a safe comment to make when you have a prayer altar and you pray for people and obviously nothing happens? Well, just stand and believe, brother. John Lake wouldn't have done it. He said, come back tomorrow. We'll hit it again. And after that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up and he was restored and saw every man clearly. This was Jesus. Why wasn't the man healed the first time? Why wasn't the man healed the first time? You're asking the wrong question. I thought you were going to tell us. You're asking the wrong question. What did Jesus do about it? That's what we want to know. I'll tell you what he did about it. He loaded a second rock. That's what he did. He prayed for the man to be healed. He wasn't completely, and Jesus did things completely. Completely died for our sins. Completely died for our healing. Completely died for our prosperity. Completely died for our eternal address. Completely. And here's this man who didn't get it all. And Jesus, his response to it wasn't, well, what's the matter with you? It wasn't, it wasn't, well, go and be healed as you go. He loaded another rock. Now, why did he do that? If you'll study... Bethsaida was a city full of giants of unbelief. That's Bethsaida's pedigree. That's the kind of place it was. It was full of giants of unbelief. Look what he did. He led the man out of the city. And then after he led him out of the city and prayed twice for him, then he told him, don't go back in again amongst all those people. Let's get out of this place where these giants of doubt and unbelief are, where I can minister to you, and it's such a giant-filled situation, i got to minister to you twice. Why do we miss that in the Bible? Why do we let people leave without their healing? Why do we let people leave without their blessing? Why do we let people leave without getting saved? John Lake had it figured out. Let's have healing rooms. Let's have them there all week, all the time. I read account after account after account of John Lake doing this. It'd be 30 days. People coming every day. Well, that'd get to be discouraging. 
until day 30. I'm just giving you the Bible. It was so much so that Jesus had to hit this giant twice. What David knew about giants, Jesus knew about giants. Great faith will load a second rock. I know you've never heard it this way. Great faith won't stand on one prayer. Great faith will load another. What was I doing when I had vertigo? Hitting it, hitting it, hitting it, hitting it, hitting it. And I will tell you, until that evening, I was still having to turn careful. But when I laid down, I was fine. I don't know how many rocks I threw. But God said, throw rocks. I threw them. How many rocks did Jesus use in the temptation in the wilderness? Three of them. Go read it. Same devil. Jesus had to hit him three times. Right between the eyes. How do we miss this? The Old Testament says they drove those tribes out of Canaan. They drove them out. They didn't send them a letter. They didn't ask them to go. They drove them out. And the Bible talks over and over in the Old Testament that when they were up in the battle against them and they had them on the run, they chased them. Run them all the way out. All the way out. Now, there are some things for me that are giants that may not be giants for you. There are some things that may be giants for you that are not for me. Smoking is not a giant for me. I used to, but it's not for me now. But if it's a giant for you, I understand that. And my comment is, hit it again. Drinking is not a giant for me. That's how I knew about the other way that the bed has been. But if it's a giant for you, if God's, if God's dealing with you about it, hit it. If it doesn't go away, hit it again. Get some more rocks. Here's some good rocks. Good morning, devil. 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the, in the world. Wham! The devil says, why'd you do that? Because you're the devil. That's how I'm supposed to treat you. Maybe your thing is poverty. 3 John 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in hell. Wham! We got this, this mamby-pamby approach with the devil. Sickness, 1 Peter 2.24, by his stripes I am healed. Wham! I don't care if he's looking at me or not looking at me or walking by or running from me. I'm going to hit him with a rock. Why? Because he's the devil. That's how you deal with him. Well, here's one, pornography. Colossians 1.13. Who has delivered me out of the kingdom of darkness and translated me into the kingdom of his dear son? Wham! Get another rock. Fear, worry. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Wham! 2 Timothy 1.7. Here's another rock, devil. For God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. Wham! 
Wake up afraid again, say it again. Next day afraid again, say it again. Think something's under the bed going to get you, say it again. Some things may be giants for you, not for me. Something may be giants for me, not for you. If this, is, if this is hitting you and you know it in your heart, you know it. Get out of your seat. Get up here. I got a few rocks. I told you Jimmy took some of my time. I'm just cutting to the chase. I know, I, know that, I know that this is for you today. Um, I, I, was, I was praying for somebody Friday night um, fighting cancer. I know they've been prayed for. And it doesn't look good. But I know who's behind it. And I know for this person it's a giant. And I'll tell you, that big C word for a lot of us is a giant. We don't know what to do about that. Well, David knew what to do about it. Jesus knew what to do about it. This is how you deal with giants. If they're in your promised land, you attack them. And you attack them until they move. And then when they start moving, you keep hitting them. So I'm going to just ask you, you got some giants in your life? Today, I've got some rocks. I'll make the offer. Come on. I will say this. You're not here by accident. Because you had to get up an extra hour early to be here today. What would happen if they turned the clocks forward on Monday? Would people make it to work? Just a thought. But don't be like Pharaoh. Don't be like Pharaoh. There was a plague of frogs. And Moses came to him. And, and Pharaoh said, oh, would you please take the frogs away? And Moses said, sure. When do you want them? Gone. Tomorrow. Tomorrow? Blaine Bowman sings a song, One More Night with the Frogs. Oh, they're not that bad. We'll let them hang around one more night. No, get out some rocks. While Tommy plays, can I pray for anybody? Anyone at all? Know that sometimes when you're in the middle of it, it's tough to know what to do. It's tough to take action. This is speaking to your heart, you know. We can take care of it today. We can put these giants on the run. It's up to you. We'll let Tommy play a minute.